Welcome to Biz Break. Telling stories that reflect the human experience. My name is Jeff Hicks, and I'll be your host. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Biz Break. We're going to continue the stories that uh, we started uh, about Yap Island in the last episode. And uh, if you have any questions about Yap, just be sure and write them in the uh, the comments, and I'll answer those questions if I can. Keep in mind that we're talking about 1983-84 times on Yap. Things have changed a lot in the past 40 years, from what I understand. And uh, the culture has has progressed a little bit, and other things have happened that uh, have changed the traditions and culture on Yap somewhat, from what I've heard. So uh, I've been asked about uh, what the food is like on Yap, and so I'll speak to that uh, from my own experience and then from what I noticed from other people. First of all, the natives that live out in the village each have a uh, a fire pit near their their um, huts, and uh, so that's where they would do most of their cooking if they decided to cook. And and the food for the native villagers was pretty much um, the same every day. They would get up and have taro and rice, maybe some fish. For lunch, same thing. For supper, pretty much the same thing. Once in a while, uh, they might throw in some fruit, like bananas, pineapple, oranges, whatever's growing, whatever they have access to. And as you probably guessed, coconut is kind of a big part of their diet. And if you've ever been onto on an island and had fresh coconuts, now we're talking about the green coconuts, big heavy green ones, that the meat inside is still slimy. You can actually reach your hand down in there and scrape that off uh, the shell with your hand or scoop it out with a spoon. And if you've tasted that, that slimy coconut meat, when it's a, when it's a young coconut, you know how good it is. It's kind of a sweet taste, and uh, but the juice, the coconut juice on a young in a young coconut is fantastic. It almost tastes like Seven Up or Sprite, if you uh, if you can make that comparison. Anyway, it's just. Great if you uh, if you go out into the village and uh, and have somebody offer you a fresh green coconut. It's just really good, and they probably like you. So um, fish was a big deal on Yap, and usually about every week or two, the men in the village would go out at night with their their underwater flashlights and and spears and fish. And they'd spend all night um, in the lagoon, diving, spearing fish, bringing it up to the surface, putting it in the basket, and going back for more. And uh, that's how they lived. And along with fish, they had 
uh, lots of, of taro. And uh, interestingly, the, uh, the bomb craters from World War II uh, quickly became used as taro patches. Um, and it just worked really well. All the elements were right, and you know, having a kind of a swampy, wet area to grow these taro roots. So anyway, that was uh, a big deal, and kind of helped the villagers to have all those bomb craters. And that brings up, um, you know, a little bit of chatter on World War II. I'll devote a segment to that at some point, but just know that the U.S. bombed the heck out of Yap during World War II, because there was a Japanese installation there. They had um, quite a bit of activity going on, including an air base and a few other things. And and so for a couple of years, Yap just was bombarded. So um, you could go down to the store in Colonia and uh, buy a lots of canned goods. They were expensive. In fact, you got to the point buying food on Yap where you just didn't look at the price. You didn't even care what the price was. You just went and took it to the counter and paid what they asked. They could have asked $15 for a can of corned beef, and you probably would have paid it because you just wanted it. And that's how it was. And uh, one time, as I mentioned, a ship would bring stuff in. Um, For two or three months at one point, the ship didn't bring any toilet paper in. The villagers didn't really care about that, but the rest of us did. Because uh, we used that. And so, you know, if you don't have toilet paper, you have to figure out something else to use to, to wipe your bum. And um, so we used uh, newsprint and a few other things. You just, you know, whatever works, you figure out how to make do. And uh, so that's kind of how it worked. I lived on on, uh, fish, uh, corned beef, rice. There's lots of rice. Um, You could get ramen from China that was fantastic. The best ramen I've ever eaten. And um, it had, you know, Asian print on it. So I didn't have any idea what it said. But I, I knew it was ramen. And uh, it was just great. However they cooked it was just good. Now the rice you would get from Asia had sticks and rocks and leaves and other stuff in it. You had to um, kind of the... The process is you would dump rice in the in the pot, put water in, swish it around so all the the floaties would come to the top, and then you'd scrape that off. Now I'm talking about floaties, meaning sticks and leaves, and also insects. Bugs get in your rice. You can't stop it, even though you put you know the rice in a in an airtight container of some reason bugs still get in there and uh, so all those things come floating to the top and then you just um, fish them out and uh, but all that stuff was really good and uh, corned beef was a big deal 
you could buy it in a you know those little cans and uh, just keep it in our in the refrigerator for stuff you didn't eat um so um housing i've asked been asked questions how do people uh, live there what kinds of housing do they have out in the village um most people lived in in huts that were made out of um just poles from the jungle and split bamboo uh, was used on the floors and and for other things and then for the roof every when the hut was being built everybody in the village would get together to help weave the the uh, coconut leaves for the roof and so they would lay a lattice work of small sticks lashed onto the the rafters of their roof and then they would lay these these woven coconut leaves over the over the lattice and then just layer them kind of like you would shingles on a, a roof um and we would get involved in those those weaving uh projects and uh so what you do, um, the villagers would go up in the coconut tree and cut down as many leaves as they needed. And then you take the end of the leaf and, and notch it and then split it. And it splits really easy. And then there's a, a particular way that you weave the, um, the coconut, uh, the, the leaf. And, uh, and it, it works really well. I've sat in those huts with the woven coconut leaf roofs, and there's no water coming in. And um, so it works really well. And you can imagine how much water's coming down in a cloudburst out and uh, which brings up rainy season. Um, like I mentioned in the last episode, Yap was having a... Uh, a serious drought when I got there. There was no water for three months, no rain at all. And then suddenly, out of nowhere, we got hit with a major typhoon, and then it was rainy season for a while. And uh, everybody has the little drain um, setups on their huts or their houses to, to run the, the rainwater into their barrels to save it. And, uh, and that's what we would use for drinking water. And, uh, after the drought was over, we actually had water that would, would run into the faucet in our house. So we could use a shower and the kitchen faucet and things like that. And, uh, so it, you know, like I mentioned earlier, if you don't have any water, you learn how to ration it, and, uh, and you know, I've I've forgotten a lot of those things. I mentioned that we would use about two hundred gallons a week, four guys, uh, in one little apartment, and uh, and that's about that's about how much we used. So uh, I have to say, uh, one day when I was working with uh, Paula Pita. We got word from the villagers that this friend of ours named Bainug needed to have a new hut built for him. 
And Bay Noog was a great guy. We liked him. He was one of our friends. And he was kind of a simpleton. And he he had a, a, a physical disability. One of his feet was turned out. So he kind of had to hobble around. He, he couldn't walk real easily. And um, But we all loved him. He was a great guy. We really liked Bay Noog. And Peter and I set a time with him to go out and build a house. We just told him, have some materials there. Have the villagers in your, your village there get some timber and some poles and some other things, and, and we'll put a house together for you. So on the, the day that we planned, we went out to his place, and we were running a little bit late. And um, we found Benug there sitting in the jungle right where we planned to meet. And he was waving sticks around and chanting and doing some other stuff, using his black magic. And we walked up and asked him what he was doing. He says, oh, I was asking the spirits if you guys were coming. Because you're late. We said, Benug, of course we're coming. But we couldn't uh, let you know we were going to be late, so we just hope you'd be all right with it. And he said, well, the spirits told me that you were, be- you were late. And we choked with him and told him that, uh, you know, those we didn't check in with the spirits. They had no idea what our time schedule was. <laughs> anyway, we had a lot of fun teasing Benug. And he took it well. Um, one time, he had to go into the hospital because he had some kind of sickness. He wasn't feeling well. So he was sitting in the hospital, and we went in to visit him. And we took one of our friends, Jeff Rehoboam, with us. Jeff was a jokester. And he walked in and told Benug that he talked to the doctors before we got to his room. And the doctors said that they're going to cut his arm off and hook a baseball bat <laughs> to his, where his arm was. They were just going to sew a bat right on there. And uh, now you have to understand Jeff Rehoboam's a huge baseball fan. In fact, he named each of his boys after famous baseball players. Willie Mays, Roger Morris. And, uh, it, it was just lots of fun. Mickey Mantle. And that was their full name. Willie Mays was one word. Roger Morris, one word. Mickey Mantle. It was just really funny. Anyway, he had Benug believing that um, he was going to have to have a baseball bat for an arm. <laughs> and so later that day, he escaped from the hospital and went back to the village. It's kind of funny. Anyway, he told us he didn't want a baseball bat. And we told him, Jeff, Rehoboam's just teasing you. He's n- they're not going to do that to you, Benug. Oh, I, c- I couldn't take any chances, That's what he said. <laughs> anyway, we got to his village to build his house. He had three or four sheets of corrugated uh, roofing material, all rusted, um, some posts, and some, some bamboo, big pile of bamboo, and then a coffee can full of rusty nails and an old uh, ball-peen hammer with a broken handle. And that's what we had to work with to put this house together. So we just um, dug some holes, sunk those posts in the ground, toenailed um, some uh, 
floor joists, laid out the uh, bamboo after splitting it, and lashed and nailed that all down, and then created some rafters on the uh, tops of the posts, and latticed some uh, some bamboo uh, um, poles together, and then laid that corrugated tin over that and nailed it down. Took about three and a half hours to build this house for Baynug. And when we got done, we were kind of standing back looking at it, and Baynug walked up and put his arms around Pita and me, and, and he was crying. He said, I have the nicest house in the village now. Thank you so much for, for building this house for me. And it just, um, it was kind of a sensitive moment for all of us uh, because we loved Baynug so much. He was such a good guy. And we were happy to help him make a house, something that would be comfortable. So uh, I've also been asked about the language on Yap. Uh, as far as I know, what we were told was the Yappies language really doesn't have any roots at all in any of the other languages around the area. Um, so they didn't know where the language originated, where it came from, or where the people migrated from that spoke that language. But uh, if you look on the map, Yap is located um, above New Guinea quite a ways, but it's in that same general region. And some people thought maybe... Um, People migrated from New Guinea at some point and ended up on Yap. I don't know. have no idea. But there was this guy named John Jensen, who was a linguist, who uh, was out there when I was there in the early 80s, and he created an alphabet. And, uh, and then after he established that, he started writing a lot of the... Um, the language into books and other things. So we had some children's books and some parts of the Bible that were translated. And, uh, and it was really helpful as we were learning the language. In fact, we got together with this Jensen guy, and he kind of gave us the rudiments of, of the language and how it worked and how to speak uh, certain things. And so we just started learning sentences. And, you know, we would associate things with whatever the word was for that. And uh, we got together with one of our friends and members of our church, a guy named Richard Ken, and uh, he kind of became our teacher, our language teacher. And, uh, and he was really helpful. In fact, he um, allowed his son to come stay with us for a couple of weeks and and we just uh, kind of immersed in the language uh, culture while, while he was there helping us. And, and he spoke pretty good English, and so he could translate for us. And, uh, and that was really helpful. And then we would go out to the village where Ken, Richard Ken lived, and, and he would uh, give us language lessons about once a week. And uh, interestingly, and, and all of you who have learned a language probably understand this, I could understand Yapese long before I could speak it fluently. 
And I say fluently, lightly, because I, I wasn't expert in the language. I, I didn't have, uh, you know, the naked, native levels of speaking, but I could speak it well. And I learned it, understood it uh, before I could speak it. I could tell what people were saying. But then, um, you know, when I got to the point where I felt like I was really fluent, I was talking with one of my friends who was a native uh, Liapese, and I said, how's my language coming? If you were to make any comparisons, um, what would you say? And he said, well, he laughed. He pointed over at his little son, Junior, who was about two years old. He said, you're at about Junior's level. <laughs> so I, uh, that was kind of a humbling experience, but I realized uh, that's about right. So um, one of the other questions, the culture questions that I get asked a lot about Yap is, um, what do they do with people when they die? How does that work? And what are funerals like? So a couple of weeks after I got to Yap, I experienced that. Um, one of our uh, friends' mothers passed away. And so we went out to the village um, to uh, visit with him and give our condolences. And um, the way it works usually was they will take a, an individual who's passed away and rub coconut oil all over their body and then dress them up in, in their uh, nice um, native dress. And in this case, this little um, Yappies lady who had passed away was laying there and, and she had lots of woven, really pretty woven lays around her neck and a really pretty colorful grass skirt and uh, then some other uh, trinkets and jewelry. And they lay the person in the hut, on the ground, on a mat, and, and then they leave them there for about three days, and every day they will rub coconut oil on them. So they have kind of a shiny, greenish-colored hue after a couple of days. And... Um, you go in and sit in the hut and, and talk about the person and tell happy stories. But um, it's tradition on Yap to also wail. And you probably heard some um, cultures, they, they wail for their, their dead. And that's what Yappies do. So during the night, if you're near... Um, a, uh, in the village where someone has died, at night you'll hear the wailing going on. It's kind of creepy in a way. All these people screaming and crying in the jungle. And, uh, but that's part of their tradition that they honor those people. And so when a, when a person passes away, all the family comes to the person's hut, gathers around, and they stay there for three or four or five days. And it's, it's part of the tradition for the family of the, the deceased to provide all these family and friends food and coconut and all the other things 
while they sit there for four or five days. So there's big piles of coconuts and and other stores of food nearby that they, they use to eat. And uh, this this thing goes on for about four or five days, and then it's over, and they bury the person. And uh, that I ever saw, I didn't see any caskets or anything like that. And they just wrap the person in a blanket and put them in the ground. You've been listening to Biz Break, product of Voice Right Media. Thank you.